if I look at the, those people right there, like, why am I any different from them? And, and I feel really fortunate that I was able to have that mindset. There's a lot of folks who, for a lot of reasons, aren't, aren't really raised to, to think that way. But I was just like, why, why them and not me? On this podcast, we share inspirational stories, unique strategies, and the life lessons from entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and innovators in our communities who have transformed their lives and the community around them. Hi, my name is Kevin LePage, and you're listening to Exponentialists On Air. Today on Exponentialists On Air, we have Roman Gonzalez, someone who, when asked, preferred a fun, casual headshot over something more formal. And let me tell you, he brings that fun, quirky energy to his startup, Gardenio, and to his entire life, as I'm sure you will find out soon in this episode. Roman embodies an exponentialist from his upbringing into him being in a startup right now today. Roman is dedicated to building his community leaf by leaf, garden by garden, and my excitement is surely overgrown by now, Roman. Welcome to the show. First off, I guess we can just start um, at the beginning. Tell me about your childhood and any yeah. obstacles you faced uh, while you were young. Oh, man. I feel like it's a starting therapy session. I didn't therapy <laughs> until later, but I can start now. Uh, yeah, so I grew up in Corpus Christi, Texas. Um, I was born in San Antonio, quickly moved uh, to Corpus. Um, and, and grew up there, you know, it was a, a town with not a ton to do. Um, you know, it was a... 90s and 2000s kid and you just kind of had to find your own way to like fill the time um and with me you know, a lot of it was getting involved with student organizations um i was always really creative i was always like i was just wanted to like do stuff do stuff do mm-hmm. stuff and so uh so that ended up you know i i did i also just didn't want to do the stuff that everybody else was doing there's like i said like national honor society and there was like right. um even like spanish honor society there was all this like other stuff that people were doing I was like, well, why? Like, everybody's like just doing this for college credit. I want to do stuff that I actually like, the stuff I actually mm-hmm. enjoy. And so I ended up doing like a lot of journalism. Um, so I got involved with the student paper and um, they're like really active in that. And I would like other people on the team, they just wanted to like, oh, like just do these like whatever fun stories about cell phones. And I'm just like, no, I want to like talk to, you know, a student going through uh, cancer remission is one of the stories we did. Or I want to look at the public, Texas public education system and, um, you know, do these more in-depth stories. And so I ended up working at some point for like four different publications. And I think that was kind of the the sort of time of my life when I, 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 I was also getting interested in philosophy, which would, you know, define define my life a little bit later. Sort of got into the culture of just asking questions, right? Like how to ask really good questions, whether it's, you know, to find out somebody's own emotional journey or whether it's to sort of like understand the universe and and so and so yeah in high school I was really active um and like I found through journalism and through uh, eventually philosophy and other things that kind of like was able to um be a good channel for a lot of my creativity and curiosity and so and, and I did a lot more besides that too right it was just being really really active as much as I could to the point to where like uh, when I graduated high school, because in Texas they have like the top ten percent of people, right? right? Like um, if you graduate in the top ten percent of your class, you can go to I think I guess any public education in Texas. Mm-hmm. And so I actually wasn't in the top ten percent, uh, but like I didn't want that to stop me because I felt like a I was like, hey, I'm a smart guy. Like I'm hanging out with the valedictorian over here, and like I can keep up with him, right? Like so for me, I was like, you know, I, I have all this curiosity and, and and potential, and so I want to shoot really high, and and so I did, and so um. You know, I wouldn't have gotten into UT if I'd applied, most likely, but I did get into Brown University, mm-hmm. which you know, in Rhode Island, it's an Ivy League school, and and I set my sights really high there. And and so yeah, I, I think that it was a lot of the sort of early formative years was sort of being like, hey, like I recognize that like, you know, and I was also competitive, right? So so I was just like, if I look at the, those people right there, like, why am I any different from them? And, and I feel really fortunate that I was able to have that mindset. There's a lot of folks who, for a lot of reasons, aren't, aren't really raised to, to think that way. But I was just like, why, why them and not me? Yeah, right there I see that you're looking to aim high and you want to provide impact. And yeah. I see that kind of throughout your career progression, in which, um, especially going now with yeah. Gardenio, you're really trying to focus on the impact aspect yeah. instead of and trying to aim high for impact yeah. instead of maybe as much on the um, just trying to do it out of profit. Yeah, yeah, and I actually I think that it's something, and it's really cool seeing uh, this sort of new wave of women and people of color entrepreneurs coming. Mm-hmm. And with that, 
I've seen just, and this is only my, I don't know the data here, but I've just seen a lot of folks who are also really interested in creating uh, a stronger impact to their businesses yes. that are not just profit driven. And I think it's like totally within the realm of women and people of color to like, hey, get your money. You know, like I think that's totally <laughs> fine too. Like um, a lot of forces have kept people like that from getting their money. So, you know, do it. But it's, it's sort of like there's, there's just kind of more, there can be more on, on the line for us. And it's like, you know, we're, we, we succeed, but then we look back at either our grandparents or our parents or, you know, relatives and um, who maybe aren't in such awesome places. And there's this, or we look at the communities we came from and, and, you know, varying degrees of struggle in those communities. And we want to give back. We're like, we can't just do it. Right. We can't just look out for ourselves. We have to look out for everybody else because, you know, it's, it's a big gap. Right. Cognizant of the greater community around you. Yeah. I know through our organization, our RISE programs, mm -hmm. uh, these high schoolers create these ideas. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, they end up having a social aspect to them. Yeah. Um, the idea that one last semester, it's... Um, it was a gardening app. It was a gardening app. I'm going to be very upset. Just, <laughs> just kidding. It, yeah. it, it was gardening. Um, it was um, aquaponics. Yes. Aquaponics. Yeah, yeah. It was an aquaponics uh, idea in which they wanted to use aquaponics to... Um, uh, to be a competitor of Gardenio, um, to to help people garden, but it was a that one's obviously a little bit more higher cost. I actually don't even see it as competitive, right? Like, so I mean, the, okay. the, I mean, the cool thing about this entire space is that, I mean, everybody wants everybody to have quicker, more affordable, easy access to be able to grow their own food. So they, uh, I mean, they can eat healthier, more nutritious food. It's like it's just it's good for everybody, right? right. Uh, and so like everybody wants everybody else to win, and. Um, you know, we if just having I mean, aquaponics, hydroponics, all those categories, they're a small percentage of the market right now, and they're gonna, but it's gonna keep growing. Like, yeah, I mean, there's room for there's room for everybody who's trying to make the world a better place. Perfectly said. All right, and then moving out of high school, you uh, got accepted to Brown University. Right. Tell me a little bit about um, your experience there yeah. and how much it was different than growing up in Corpus Christi. Oh yeah, uh, no, it was, it was hugely different. I, I will say just to kind of call out some folks. Um, uh, when I got into Brown, it was with a lot of effort, but I had a bunch of people help me along the way. And there was a, a woman, Mercedes uh, Dominic, who um, was working particularly in the Valley, um, trying to recruit um, more more students of color, Hispanic folks, mm -hmm. uh, particularly. And you know, I was able to meet her through an organization. I was in the National Hispanic Institute, and that was really formative for me growing up. I know there's a chapter in Austin. You know, I helped lead the Corpus Christi chapter. Like organizations like that, and people like that, were able to really were able to believe in me and give me some of the resources where they weren't otherwise available to continue to like be curious and try and do big things, etc. And, and and part of that was also that, and this is just kind of a funny side story. I, I did a journalism program. It was actually for the Asian American Journalist Association at the time, but it included all kinds of uh, folks of color. So I, I, it was like an all expenses paid thing to, to NYU. And we talked to like Ed Bradley, Soledad O'Brien. It was like really cool. Um, but a few months after that, and it's like my senior year at, at this point, and I'm thinking like, man, what are my college applications going to be about? Like, I don't have any, I don't have any cool story. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I, you know, I acknowledge I was raised with a, a, a decent degree of privilege. And, and, and then um, I get an email from, uh, from the Today Show. Mm -hmm. And they're looking to like highlight different students and their college applications journey. And so they wanted me to be on the Today Show. And so over the next few months, like uh, once or twice they had uh, camera people come down and like, do interviews with me and my family and like follow me around school. I was like the most popular kid in school. Like people who had never talked to me before, uh -huh. right? All of a sudden were like, oh, you're the cool <laughs> kid. And um, and so I ended up going and being on the Today Show, and which is really cool and good exposure and whatnot. But I, I, I say that one to acknowledge that that happened. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but two, that like not everybody needs to be on the Today Show to get into a school like Brown, right? Yeah. Like um, in fact, the the recruiter, Dominic, or these, uh, Dominic um, said actively, like I don't care about any of this stuff. Right, like I don't care about it a single bit. So it was, uh, but yeah. So so there there were these cool cool things happen just by putting myself out there, right? By like um, saying I'm going to be a, a part of this journalism program. I'm going to pursue this passion, etc. And so just continuing to put myself out there, I found, um, and just talking to people, meeting people, uh, I found that to be really helpful. But yeah, you asked about college, and so when I went to college, it, it was it was it was very wildly different, okay. and uh, I couldn't put my finger on it at the time. But, like, I don't know, one thing that's kind of illustrated is, like, I grew up in Corpus Christi. Like, my parents aren't, like, super fancy people, right? We didn't, like, grow up in high society or anything like that. Like, they grew up super poor, right? And so, um, and that stays with you. And so, 
I remember there was there was a dude there who like uh, I heard that he was having like a wine and cheese party at Brown. Yeah, at Brown, and he's like having a wine and cheese party at Brown, and like, uh, and I'm just like, ah oh, man, that guy, that guy like sucks or something. Like, he's probably like really rich and whatnot, and like turns out he's he's just like a you know he also grew up you know in some struggle uh, in, in Queens, um, but even like just a wine and cheese party just made me feel really alienated because I've never been anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was such a culture shock, and there was this feeling that everybody there like knew something that I didn't. You know what I mean? So the the first two years were a little rough. And um but as with all things over time I was able to kind of like find my place at at the school. Um I helped start a TV station there. Or there was a TV station that had actually started by Doug Lyman, who did like the Born Identity, the Born Trilogy, all that kind of stuff and in addition to other things. He started in nineteen eighty seven. And through the nineties it kinda in, in the early two thousand it started to kinda wane. And so by the time I got there, and I wanted to make films at the time, I was like, I want to study philosophy, I want to make films. Right. Um, the Like basically nobody was watching it. It was like all these equipment from the 1980s uh, just sort of stacked up um, on the third floor of some, some building. And, and so we, uh, we got some people together and we went from, you know, having four people to like 300 people over a couple of years. We raised like over $40,000 just to get equipment so other people could make films. We did all that research ourselves. You know, we put together budgets and, and pitched them in front of the, the student board to get money for it. So it really was just a, a lot of, at that time, just like hustling and, and, and being on the computer a lot and making paperwork and doing and just talking to people, getting people excited. And it was doing all the stuff of an entrepreneur. But I just didn't think about it that way at the time. Because, mm-hmm. again, it was this thought that, like, oh, entrepreneurs, like, I don't know. That's Even though both my parents are self-employed, one's an insurance adjuster, another's like a personal trainer, mm-hmm. they're sole proprietors, which is just a different kind of a thing than... Uh, Starting a corporation, a company. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, it was like, oh, that's for other people. That's not for me. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I just have big ideas and I'm going to make that happen in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think that contributes to sort of my emphasis on impact, too. Um, it wasn't until I got out of college later that I kind of acknowledged, oh, that's that's what all this is, right? And also, like, I don't know, when you're in college, especially school like that, it's like, I was a philosophy kid. I just wanted to, like, think about life and the universe and the world, right? And all those business kids sucked, right? Like, it's just <laughs> like, all they're talking about is, like, money and just, like, spreadsheets and, like, hey, I, I can do a good spreadsheet. But but it was just, they weren't my people. But, yeah, um, I mean, college was, uh, college was tough, but um, I kind of sort of said, let's just take the playbook from high school and just... Um, don't put as much emphasis on my schooling, even though I, and I did well in my classes, um, and just do everything outside of it. Build what you want. So I you know, created different classes. Um, I coordinated the program for folks who created their own classes. I worked for the film festival there. I started not only Brown TV, um, but the first live news show that's been there in 20 years. And so it was just like constantly filling my time um, with just how, how do we build and create all these things and learn a lot. So what I'm catching from that, from your college experience, is that while you weren't necessarily in business or you weren't actually, you know, taking to entrepreneurship classes or management classes, you were actually like putting those skills to use Mm -hmm. and what you're like hustling, you're actually founding things, you're organizing people. And I I can see that that kind of sets the foundation for what you've been a part of recently. Absolutely. You don't need to take like a how to business class one on one. (laughs) You know what I mean? And those are probably good, um, especially when it comes to being able to like manage money effectively. But otherwise, I mean, it's just, it's energy. It's your ability to get other people on board. It's, um, you know, making a thing happen with very little resources, um, not making excuses, right? Like I was reading an article today about like a lot of people in early stage companies, they always say like, oh, but I need money. I need money for this idea, right? And they just have like something on the back of a napkin and they're like, okay, now I'm going to go raise money. Um, but the first thing you need is not money. It, like you need, you need a market and you need to figure out like, oh, do people even want this thing, right? Yeah. And you know, there's a lot you can do for free, um, or at least very, very cheap. Um, but I mean, talking to people is free. Walking into a coffee shop is free. And even just getting feedback that way um, is, you know, a good start to a business. But, but yeah, a lot of those, again, it doesn't have to be a business class. It can just be the, the act of, you know, coming up with an idea and making it happen, whatever that is. Whether that's a film, whether that's a newspaper, whether that is a marketing strategy, you know, the, in every field, people are doing this. Um, but they think, oh, because it's not this exact thing, mm-hmm. then I can't do it. But skills are very, you know, applicable. Yeah, the skills of entrepreneurship, um, just like innovating in any industry can be yeah. applied to every sector and in industry. Absolutely. Then coming right out of Brown, mm-hmm. um, where'd you go? 
Yeah, so at the time, I was like, uh, right, I want to make these films. I'd taken a bunch of screenwriting courses. I had, like, some scripts. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, maybe, uh, you know, I could go to L.A. I could go to New York. You can go to um, – and there's Austin, which, you know, has a really burgeoning um, film scene. Mm-hmm. And, oh, but it's also got this, like, cool comedy scene. It's also got this cool tech scene. And it's small enough to where you, if you do something cool and big, um, you actually get heard. As opposed to these other cities where it's you can just be drowned out and how big everything is and everybody's doing something cool and amazing. And so I was like, okay. And it happens to be close to home. I know some people there um, from from high school. So I was like, okay, cool. I got a network. And so maybe I'll just go to Austin and I'll get a day job and I'll work on the scripts. And then eventually I'll move to L.A. and I'll make it. How'd that turn out? Yeah, well, uh, I, I, don't, I may have opened the screenwriting program like twice in the year after I moved to Austin. Um, because in 2011, it was really difficult to find a job. Like nobody in Texas cares if you have like a fancy degree from Brown University. They're like, oh, I had a cousin who went to Brownsville. Like, you know, like, like (laughs) people, they just didn't really care. And then especially with philosophy and I had had, you know, in college, in addition to all the organizations I started, I had like five different jobs at one point. Right. Um, and so like I had practical experience in, in, in marketing and video production, which was, you know, was the field I was going in. Um, I had built strategies for companies already and gotten paid for it, but um, something, you know, it was it was tough for everybody in 2011, um, and for me especially, and it got, I mean, it was, I applied to over 300 jobs mm-hmm. in that year, and none of them, except for one catering company in Corpus Christi, Texas, mm-hmm. um, wanted to hire me. And it, and it was this weird feeling, because it was just, especially, you know, again, as a Hispanic middle-class kid, you're just sort of like, I thought I did everything right, you know, like I got into the good school, I made good grades, I was always active, I didn't, I wasn't doing like drugs, I didn't even drink, mm-hmm. and and then, you know, you're hit with this reality, and it's just like, oh, I thought this was worth something, and so it was, it was really tough, you know, like failure became a part of my identity, right, just rejection entirely, um, and I mean, hula hut wouldn't even hire me and I was that they were they looked at they're like what are you doing here they're, they're like you went to brown why do you want to work at hula like everybody could see it on my face right I was just you know but yeah so it was, it was this weird space to be in but um so I was going between Austin and Corpus for a year sort of staying I, I was staying on a futon in a kitchen of my friend's place mm-hmm. and uh I stayed there for like two and a half months like rent free um then they're like yo you should really like pay rent yeah like a little and i was working in a movie theater at the time and like scrubbing floors and stuff and uh i was doing odd jobs like flyering around ut campus and whatnot and uh, i was like oh man i I can't do that and i like i don't i don't have money and so um i went back to went back to corpus and um finally i I came to south by southwest in 2012 and there was a job fair and and i I got you know a low-paying job there doing customer support um they moved me to Austin. I was just like, as long as it gets me here, that's fine. Found out I didn't really know anybody in Austin. I like my my friends from high school just kind of chilled out in their house all day, and I wanted to do big things. Um, and so I had to just kind of start building that network. And so over that that year, um, just would go to networking events, just meet as many people as I can. I was already going to startup events. I did a three three day startup program. Um, I heard of it. Yeah, yeah, and I know UT has one. They have it all over the world. And so I did that program and that kind of was like, that terrified me because even though I thought I was really skilled at the time, I was still, I know I had a lot of imposter syndrome, especially in spaces like that, especially because a lot of them are like predominantly white spaces. And I didn't even think about it at the time. My mind wasn't politically there at the time, Mm -hmm. but like it's looking back that I'm like, oh, it's because like nobody looked like me, (laughs) like that it felt so weird to be in those rooms. So yeah, I I did that program. um, And then, uh, and, and I had that job in tech support, and I got a call from a friend who worked for the Obama campaign in Ohio. Mm-hmm. He was like, hey, we need organizers over here. Like, do you want to come? And I was like, yes. Like, I would do anything to quit that job. Like, I was like, it was a rough time. And um, and so I remember uh, my birthday was August 17th. And on August 15th, uh, I got the call, and they were like, you're in. Can you be here in two days? <laughs> and so I put everything in my car, a uh, big old Ford Explorer, and drove across the country and to Columbus, Ohio, um, where I worked as an organizer for a period of time. And and that like also set the bar for like the level of impact mm-hmm. that I wanted in the job. And yeah, so it, it's you really felt like you were having an impact. And you know, it was it was a tight race, and we won Ohio, and 
it was you know historically known as one of the best ground games in um the history of you know modern politics and and i was a part of that and that felt really cool so i came back and i was like oh man now i got this obama thing on my resume it's gonna be like it's gonna be maybe it'll be better and uh, it was it was still rough but um I had some folks in town take me under their wing. Kevin Coyne of Tech Ranch um, had me do some work with him for a while. Dan Driscoll did a little free work for him. I mean, I had to do free work. Um, and and I got by a little bit on consulting gigs. And, you know, my parents weren't sending me money or anything. Like, I, that just has never been the thing. They didn't pay for a penny of college, nothing like that. And so, so they took me under their wing. And I got introduced to a company called Twofer. Mm-hmm. So um, Twofer is actually at the Longhorn Startup Camp at the time. And yeah, it was a it was a professor Josh Alexander there, and he had gone to Wharton um, MBA program, and he saw me and he was sort of like, oh man, there's this like underutilized like kid like this whiz kid over here, and like yeah. we can have him do marketing, also very inexpensive, and so <laughs> and so I joined that team. Um, they hired me. That was like my first like real like salary job, and it was you know not until like 2013 after getting out of college in 2011 and so i mean it was it was a tough road but it was amazing right and now i'm in startup and it's like less than 10 people and like i'm the only marketing hire and we, we have a cmo consultant mm-hmm. but um and like i'm coming i have the responsibility i want i'm being able to come up with these large marketing strategies i'm figuring things out i'm learning new things i'm operating the whole thing like and uh, i do that for a year and a half before i get like super super burned out and, and, and in that process, I start really getting interested in product design. So I had this background in marketing, right? Right. And so now I wanted to switch over. Like, how do I, I don't want to just talk about solving problems. How do I actually solve those problems? Mm-hmm. And what skill sets do I need? So how did you, how did you make that pivot? Yeah. So, um, so the, my pivot into the design world um, happened a little bit at Twofer that uh, I had the marketing role, right? But I, um, we were working on websites. And so... I was really interested. My job is like to generate leads for the company. And so in order to do that, you can drive as much traffic as you want. But if your website kind of sucks, people don't get it. People don't understand it. They're just going to go away like real quick. And so I was really interested with the experience of when they come here. Like, what does it look like? What does it feel like? Do you look like a modern company? Do they know what we do? Is the story told in a really interesting way? Um, How do they, you know, what's the flow for them to actually fill out, um, you know, a contact form? Um, so I started kind of doing that, mapping that, not really even realizing I was doing kind of user experience stuff. Um, and I worked on that with a partner, a friend from high school who was in Baltimore. He was a biz dev guy, um, but he uh, he got picked up by Nook. Um, he was just doing design stuff on the side because he saw the people at his company were getting paid tons of money for making super crappy PowerPoints. So he was like, I can do this. And so he started doing web design, posted it up. He got hired by Nook, then by PayPal, then by Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Now he's with Khan Academy. And so at the time, he hadn't even gotten Nook yet. And so um, I worked on it with him. And uh, he was just really talented. And we just kind of put past things back and forth, iteration after iteration after iteration. Must have done like 30 different versions of that website. And when I, and I got another marketing gig after I left Twofer. Um, but that whole time I'm doing contracts kind of in the background. And I'm getting the contracts because uh, the the friend from Baltimore, his name's Vivek, he's he he's getting them because he's got a big logo on his resume, right? Um, and I'm also going to events in town, just talking to people, and they're like, "Who's a designer in the room?" And I'm like, "I am," even though I didn't really believe it at the time. And so then they'd be like, "Oh, do you want to work on this project?" And I was like, "Well, how much money?" And you know, and I was undercharging. You know, if I did a contract right now, I'd still probably undercharge. Shouldn't say that on a podcast, um, but <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, and, and so I just started doing that, and eventually that ended up in um, one of the contracts leading to a kind of more full time thing, sort of. Um, so there was a company that I that I did work for. They were like, "We really like it. What do we have to do to hire you?" Mm-hmm. And so I was at a marketing job at the time, and they were like, we'll pay you as much as you're making at your marketing job, but you only have to work 25 hours a week, and we'll fly you out to San Francisco once a month, and you can just stay there for once a month and work there. Uh, and I was like, yep. I like quit the next day. Uh, and yeah, so then I had that gig. They ran out of money, and then um, I still have a day job. Um, I work at Rackspace. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got hired there through a recruiter, and where I've been the past three years and I went there because I really wanted to get better at user research and they had an amazing department at the time. Right. Um, so, you know, it's a bunch of people kind of taking shots on me. Um, but it was only also because I was able to kind of piece together that story and draw a through line, like talking about it right now without, you know, there's nothing on the line that I, you know, it's a little piecemeal here and there. I knew that I just wanted to do a bunch of things, right? Like 
And I'm sure for a lot of people listening, it's the same thing. It's like, oh man, but I have all these ideas, but I have all these things I want to learn. I have all these things I want to do. And I got, you know, I satisfied that itch by going and trying to do a bunch of things. Right. And, and that's okay when that's like what your twenties are about. Um, and, 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 you know, late teens and stuff, it's just like, try everything and just see what you like and you'll learn something. You can take this lesson from here, apply it there. Um, and so now with Gardenio, I can't imagine doing anything else. Mm-hmm. And so with, with Twofer, you were an early employee. Yeah. Early and employee. so now you've transitioned from being an early employee of a startup and working with many other startups and uh, pivoting from going from marketing now into like just design system right. operations and yeah, focusing yeah. on the UI. Mm-hmm. So how did that bring you to Gardenio? Gardening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think even for some people who knew me, they were just sort of like, gardening? You garden? <laughs> um, well, that was like four or five years ago. I like needed to change my relationship to food. I just like wasn't very healthy. I needed to change that. Um, and so, and I had always kind of been interested in cooking, and I was I was just a really curious dude. And so I was like, okay, like uh, maybe we're gonna make like a good salsa or a tomato sauce or something. Like, how do you make it? And so look at all these recipes. You look at the common themes, etc., and all the techniques. But then it's like, oh, well, you need good tomatoes. And there's all these different kinds of tomatoes, right? Some are better for this, some are better for that, because some are meatier or whatnot. And, and so it's like, okay, well, like, how do you make good tomatoes? Well, you you grow the tomatoes. Um, and I was like, okay, well, what make you know what allows you to grow a good tomato? And so I started to get really interested in that. So it's this like huge line. Like when you start thinking about where your food comes from, there's this big complex chain of things that happen, but it all comes from stuff from the ground. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was really fascinating, just intellectually. I saw that learning about this could also help me with my own kind of health journey um that you know plants also help people with their own with their mental health in addition to their physical health um and that it's it's just so fundamental now now you have this thing that's you know the philosopher in me kind of started kicking in and it was like oh man like you know by giving people plants and teaching them how to grow their own food that's something that's so uniquely human it's so you know a core to what it means to, to to be alive to be human and so by putting plants in people's hands, you're actually connecting them to this uniquely, um, you know, cosmic experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we've been growing our own food for like 20,000 years. It's like in our bones, right? Like the desire yeah. to like go outside and put our hands in the dirt. And like there's plenty of studies that show that putting your hands in the dirt does very good things for you, right? It makes you just feel good. Being outside makes you feel good. And so if you can put plants in people's hands, you're just you're doing something really cool um, and impactful. And, and so, but oh, and also it happens to be that like 80% of new gardeners every year between the ages of 18 and 34, it's a $3.6 billion market. Like there's already money being spent here, right? It was that combination of like all these personal things going on in my life, um, trying to grow up myself and then seeing that there's market opportunity that is like, okay, you can do good and do well at the same time, right? And, and for me, it was that I, I tried growing my own food. I like, there's a plant sale. I like bought 13 plants and I like came home and, and I just had no idea what to do with them. And, and I had this big bed and it was just like half filled with dirt. Just none of it made any sense. Everything failed. And, and so, so it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't a great experience. And I was like, well, what if I could take this, all this design training, right, to sort of like reshape, you know, give people proper expectations, mm-hmm. give people the information they want when they want it, give people the things they want when they want it, right? So I can design this kind of different gardening experience. Then I can take that marketing background um, and sort of change the way we even talk about gardening, right? Yeah. Um, this is not just something that is for, you know, like 50-year-old folks in their flower shirts outside, you know, after they retire. I don't know if people don't retire at 50, but um, that, you know, what if the people who are actually growing are like around our age and they're just really interested in getting away from their phones and getting more in touch with nature and, um, so, so I, I have these sort of unique skill sets that I can then apply. Um, and I've had this entrepreneurial streak the whole time, right? That, uh, that we, we, we can do something really impactful and meaningful in the world. Uh, and also ideally, you know, achieve financial comfort down the line after all the hard work and, um, and, you know, start to create intergenerational wealth within the, the Latinx community, right? Like that's, that's the goal. And so in those 13 dead plants grew a business. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So, I, I got to use that line. Thank you. Thank you. Um, 
And growing this business, obviously you probably came or had to overcome obstacles and you're probably even overcoming those right now um, as a business continues to grow. So what's been one of your greatest obstacles and something that you really had to learn more about when mm. you started, when you tried starting your own company? You know, operations was something that I didn't have as much experience with before. So I had experience with product, with marketing, um, you know, I've managed developers. And so the, the technology part of it is um, is manageable for me. Uh, but when it came to operations, right, how do we source everything the right way? How do we right. you know, make sure we have enough? How do we, you know, what's the cost per, you know, um, particular thing that we produce? Because our products, they look very simple, but they're kind of complex to produce sometimes. And you had been in doing software before. And now you had yeah. to go into not just like hardware. You had to go into, you know, plants, living things. Yeah. Trying to source those. And it's it's actually, I mean, it's a cool opportunity, too, that it's like, so I was going from software to consumer packaged goods. And the CPG space, for short, if you're, you know, in the in the know. Um, and it, it, so now you have goods, right? And goods have to sit in a place. And we don't just have normal goods. We're not just selling microphones or something like mm -hmm. that, right? We can't just sit on a shelf forever. We have plants, and they're alive, and they have feelings. And, like, you need to be able to give them the things that they need when they need it, et cetera. You know, th it's a very kind of unique supply chain and operations problem. And one that, you know, garden centers across the country have their own ways of doing it. There's some cool companies um, out of California, like, finding cool ways to do it. But, like, we're, you know, we're effectively, right now, we're a one-person team. We've had, like, 30 people help, over 30 people over the past year just volunteering their time because they liked what we were doing, et cetera. But it's just a one-person team. And so, really, the biggest challenge, even beyond learning operations, um, has been just bandwidth and just, like, team. Right. You know, because I we're still pre-funding like we're, we're going to raise around pretty soon. You know, we I'm just paying. I'm lucky enough to have a day job that's flexible that pays me pretty well that I can, you know, put forth a couple hundred bucks every month. I can put that towards business. But, you know, I, I don't want to keep doing that. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and we need to grow. And um, w when you don't have money, you can't pay people. And a lot of people don't understand equity. Right. So you can pay people in cash dollars or you can pay them in a percentage of the company and that can be very complex and it can be people can get very weird and cagey about it and everybody's like ah oh, it's facebook you're gonna steal my idea or something like um but yeah people don't understand it very well so as so, so as a result um people aren't that willing to to work for that especially from people who don't come from like i don't know finance heavy backgrounds it's just it's not taught i wish it were so yeah i mean some of the biggest challenges have been and sure learning some new things but i just i feel like reasonably capable to learn most things as long as it's not like i know right in lines of code but the biggest thing has just been like man we have such limited resources like now in terms of money in terms of the amount of people that can work on it at a given time yeah and i think just what you said right there about limited resources yeah that's kind of what entrepreneurship is kind of pursuing something mm -hmm. uh through a limited resources that scarcity that scarcity yeah really makes entrepreneurship what it is yeah and I think, I mean, that can even go along with um, all the way back in college, trying to create the uh, everything that you did um, with limited resources at the university. Yeah. Um, I mean, eventually the job of a founder CEO is in raising money and convincing people that, you know, you're going to be successful. You're going to return the business or mm -hmm. you're just going to be so inspiring. You're going to build something great. They don't know how it's going to work. But, you, hey, you, you know, you sound just crazy enough to be right. And they just get and your check. Can't tell you how many stories I've heard of like that's how people invest. But yeah, that 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 ability to to, to sell yourself, but also, um, yeah, also that commitment to sort of I'm gonna make this. I'm going to at every step where I'm like I can't do this. It's like okay, but what else, right? Mm -hmm. It's like oh I can't. Like, for instance, we would be really great if we could like custom make our own boxes. Like if we could like just get boxes shipped to us so that then we can then put stuff in them, right? Um, That'd be really nice, but we don't have that luxury right now. So we've we found it. We've had to go to the box store and know all about boxes and the thickness of boxes and what they're made of and how boxes fit inside other boxes and then all the packing material and why this is better than the other and this one's a little more sustainably produced than the other one, right? And it's just it, it's interesting in its own way. But yeah, you sort of sort of you go in and you say, "Hey, Mister Boxman, uh, like I don't know anything about this stuff. Like, can you help me out?" Right? I think that's also an, an, I mean just another thing worth kind of mentioning that I think there's a lot of people that it's like, oh, we have to mastermind this all in my head. And I'm just going to sit in my room forever and I'm just going to think about it. It's going to be great. And then and then those are often the people that are like, oh, somebody's going to steal my idea. But you really have to like get out there and talk to people about it and also just like make calls and go into places. I, I'm still guilty of spending too much time behind the laptop and um, 
I really, when I, you know, I just need to be on the phone or I need to be out in a store or out at a networking event talking to people. It's so easy to go into strategy mode and, but so much of entrepreneurship is like you kind of alluded to, it is just doing the work. And I think it, there have been different points at sort of my journey in Gardenia where it's sort of like I hit a point and I'm just like, ah, things aren't moving as fast as I want. And it's like, ah, oh, man, it's because like, oh, if we do this, it's going to be like a lot of work and we're going to have to cut everything. And, you know, and it's like, okay, well, well, shut up and just do it. Right. Like, yeah. so, like you know, I'm talking to myself here and uh, you have to say, yeah, it's going to be a lot of work. And so just, I don't know, book a whole Saturday and do it. Um, and again, I have the luxury of Saturdays, not if we did us, but, um, you know, we all work within our means. Mm-hmm. You pretty much led straight into my next question when you said that you have to um, reach out for help. It's yeah. not just going to be yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, what? Uh, how has mentorship and sponsorship um, yeah. helped you along the way? Who's been a major mentor, and what has that meant to you uh, yeah. throughout the steps? When you say sponsorship, I think money, and I'm just like, oh man, I wish I was going. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 been an important part of it. There were people who took me under the wing. I had mentioned Ruben Cantu in town. I mean, a lot of the folks that have helped me have been from the Hispanic community, or they've been like folks of color um, who recognize that like I'm I'm also on a journey that they are on, and that they want to help me along the way, and and plenty plenty of other folks as well um, that are just like seeing that potential. So it's been important to like have those shots, right? And that's that's what like mentors have been able to do. They just like they give me those shots, and mm-hmm. and it's over time. They see the work that I do. They see my passion, my commitment, and it's and it's really only kind of like now um, or in the past few months that relationships that I started a year ago um, are starting. You know, some of those people are starting to come back and be like, "Hey, man, I love what you've been doing with uh, Gardenio. Like, let's talk. Let's meet. Like, I, I want to help this way or do this." Um, so, and, and, and those are, but those are people who've been keeping up the whole time and I've been able to ask questions. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's always going to be pivotal. I think sometimes it can feel scary too. I know even with me still. So to be like, Hey, will you be my mentor? <laughs> um, it sounds silly to me just cause I didn't grow up with that kind of thing, that, that kind of culture. Um, and I was very much like, Oh, I'm going to figure it out myself cause I'm independent. But I think it, it is really important. And I think there's, there's actually like a really great pool of like female entrepreneurs that help other, um, you know, younger female entrepreneurs. And I think that's, I think it's really fantastic. And there's so many resources for that in town. For, for, for non-female entrepreneurs, I, there's still so many opportunities. You go to like any tech event, it's mostly guys there anyway. Um, there's plenty of opportunities um, to go out there and meet people. And just, it's on you to kind of follow up and sort of say like, hey, enjoyed our conversation. Can we, you know, get coffee again? And, hey, I'm really having trouble here. You know, could you be, you know, would you have any interest in being my mentor? I really want one. I, and I really love what you do. This is why I love it. And, you know, I want to keep close contact with you. Yeah, and then you ask. And the worst they can say is no. And, I mean, you got to get used to being told no as an entrepreneur, too. So Yeah, that's, that's perfect advice for any of our listeners out there who are looking for, you know, if you want to go talk to somebody, learn, learn about anything, just yeah. go out and do it. Yeah. And also like find them on LinkedIn. Like it sounds really lame. I think if you're in college to be like, get on LinkedIn, like I wouldn't have hung out with that guy in college, but like it's, I mean, everybody's on there and, and you should be too. If, if you're looking to try and do big things and just reach out. Um, some of, you know, we've had advisors come on just based on a cold LinkedIn email. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it works. It doesn't always, but sometimes it does. Yeah. There's LinkedIn. And then my favorite social media is Venmo. The kids aren't really on Venmo these days, are they? I don't know. Oh, man. Just have to see. Venmo, <laughs> top social media app. I was going to go back to all my like 30-year-old friends and be like, yo, dude, Venmo's where you got to be. Like, people started sort of saying, like, oh, can I like, because I was like, oh, you want to just like find me on Facebook? They're like, oh, do you have an Instagram? I'm like, are you? And I, that's when I was like, oh, no, I'm old. Okay. I'm, 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 I'm. All right. Now, one thing that I saw is that you did some consulting work for a uh, moonshine yeah. um, distillery company. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about uh, how that happened. Yeah, that was cool. Um, so uh, I feel like this is gonna, I'm like going to run for office one day and they're going to be like, excuse me, sir, we see that you were at a moonshine. Is that legal? <laughs> um, no. So when I had the job uh, running design and research and product for um, the company out of the Bay Area, uh, and I was working 25 hours a week, and that was actually where I learned a really important lesson that I'm totally ignoring right now, which is that... Uh, time is a currency all in itself, right? Just having time. And so I was just like, okay. And so there's like one weekend, I just went to this like moonshine uh, tour of Crystal Creek Moonshine. Um, some cool folks started that. They were younger than me at the time. And um, they got they got a little bit of money to start it up. And they were really nice and cool and informal. And I dug it. And I was like, hey, 
uh, actually, this is when I was at the marketing job that I really hated before. Um, I was like, uh, I was like, hey, like, I really hate my job. Like, can I just like work for you guys? Like, you don't have to pay me or anything. I just kind of want to like be here and learn how to make um, moonshine. I, I, I want to, you know, I wanted, I always had this dream of like, I would make a whiskey distillery when I was older. It's really into whiskey. And, and so um, they were like, well, you know, we like, can't pay you in money. I'm like, oh, that's fine. They're like, well, we can pay you in moonshine. And I was like, that is an acceptable currency. <laughs> and so I was the coolest guy for like a year because every party I was like, got moonshine again. And, um, and and so I helped them get into different tech events and uh, do a bunch of promo. And I helped uh, manage some parts of the distillery and, uh, you know, did a couple runs with them. And, and you know, uh, moonshine runs where they actually distill the 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 moonshine and i we did it under a full moon it was really fantastic actually uh and so yeah just like learned a lot and got to like meet a bunch of people and you know nobody ever complains or you know gets mad at the guy who brings in the alcohol and so it was a good opportunity for me to just get my face in front of a bunch of people in tech who i had really wanted to um so um it wasn't as meditated as this but it if it were and let's just say it wasn't that i'm a genius that it's just it, it allowed me access um to, to folks and events that otherwise I wouldn't have had quite as much access to. It was a great time. Okay. I read that you can play the banjo. Yeah. Well, um, man, now I'm not scared of where the, <laughs> I, I, don't have, I don't have a banjo. There's not going to be any tests. <laughs> yeah. So uh, in general, I'm a self-taught musician. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up, my whole family, like everybody plays guitar. Uh, my mom like played clarinet or whatever. And, and so we all grew up playing to varying degrees and so um, I actually bass was my first instrument because I was just, I wasn't good at guitar. And then I got better at guitar. And then um, I took a, some keys lessons when I was younger. And so like I'm not like amazing at like any instrument that I play. Um, I'm not the guy who's gonna like bust it out at parties and just be like, oh look how awesome I am. Um, and that's just never been what's important to me. But like I do think this goes back to the sort of applicability of skills um, for entrepreneurship. That it's like uh, you know I can play guitar reasonably well. Um, I feel confident on it and oh these, some of these skills should be transferable to other string instruments I think any musician listening right now is like no you're wrong he's wrong but um, I found that it was much easier to learn than if I had just started from scratch mm-hmm. and so so yeah I was um, I don't know maybe I listened to too much Mumford and Sons I don't know I didn't really <laughs> like them but got um, inspiration from Kermit the Frog yeah from Kermit the Frog and, <laughs> and uh, Steve Martin but I, I got really interested and I was like oh this is kind of like a cool thing it's got a very cool tone and i've written music for a long long time since i was like 12 it's like the thing i've done longer than i've done anything else and not many people know that because they don't show a ton of people the music because uh, it's for me and uh and i was like this is really cool i'd really love to learn it and so i was able to get a banjo and um and teach myself claw hammer style there's like three different styles and i was really interested in kind of like the old folk style the kind of like you know like cowboy in the desert and it's just like he's about to die and um and about to die pulls out a banjo exactly and he plays one more <laughs> song just like uh, he plays oh death or something so yeah that was really interesting to me and i heard some banjo music there's some people doing really cool stuff with banjo music there's an artist called sam amadon and uh and so i was i've always wanted to just create this kind of like weird colorful you know highly textural music and uh and so banjo led me to do that and so it's been a minute for sure since since i played it but it's uh I was raised on a lot of punk rock music, and so my my biggest thing when playing banjo was just like, oh, I just want to go fast, you know, I just, I just want to go fast. And so, two things that are eerily similar: punk rock and banjo. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted I was gonna start a, a banjo synth punk band, and that was that was gonna be my thing. So I don't know. Hopefully, business is a better idea than that. <laughs> a better idea than that. Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't mind seeing it. So you know, we'll see. We'll <laughs> Next see. time I come back, it's because it's going to be a banjo synth rock star. Oh. And yeah. So, Dang. yeah. Dang. You just wait. <laughs> All right. And then um, probably uh, one of my last questions, but I saw that um, you have, um, I, I don't know exactly what to call it, but it was uh, more of the backyard. Um, oh, I yeah. think you called it like an experimental storytelling night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you raise money for charities yep. and nonprofits, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me a little bit about that and how that like that seems to relate to your mission for impact. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, storytelling is an incredibly effective medium to get people to like understand other people's points of views, um, really have empathy for other people. But and so um, I moved into this house in 2013, had this big back porch, and I was just renting it. It's kind of the first time I had a space. 
where I could invite people and host people. And I've always, I did that a lot as a kid. I would just say, hey, everybody come over. My mom's making sandwiches. But I hadn't been able to do that for most of my college life and after college because I just, I was so transient. And uh, so finally I had this space. And so we started inviting people over. And I was, for me, it was just like, I just want to invite all these people who like I'm thankful for, who have helped me in all these rough times and just show them a really like, cool time where it's like there's interesting drinks there's interesting conversation we started doing that and eventually you know people just kind of like start telling stories and and so um we just all started kind of sharing stories at these parties and then we had somebody move in who had a little more experience with the kind of formal storytelling scene and uh so he was like we should do like a story night and so we started it there and it's uh, called Hyde Park Storytelling it's still alive today but I also wanted something that was like okay like Let's talk about stuff that's like really kind of ugly or really difficult or really challenging or kind of tense, right? Mm-hmm. Stuff. Um, I'm really interested in in in, in art that challenges people. Um, I wanted to start this experimental storytelling night where every every single time we do some kind of experiment on the theme or on the speaker list or or the format, right? So it's just each it, it satisfies my need for things to just to always be trying new things. Um, but it brings people together to challenge themselves on a given idea. So the first one we did was on death, right? I was sort of like, I want to open this up. And so the, and it wasn't like, oh, death, like the lives and stories. Of, it was sort of just like death. Um, we're not going to skirt around it or be like, oh, but life is beautiful. It's like, let's earnestly talk about these experiences that we have. And it was heavy. Like it, there were parts that got really, 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 really heavy. And there were some parts that were really amazing. We had a woman tell a story about how she talked to like her cat about because cats have multiple lives you know as they say that mm-hmm. anyway um and how she talked to her cat about that experience and i'm just like this is so wild but it's like by the end of it i was like near tears um you forget that she's talking about talking to a cat so it was these really cool vibes and what we said is that like okay well every time we do this i want to be able to like I want to be able to get people in the habit of like giving to causes they care about. Mm-hmm. And and I want to introduce people to maybe causes that they haven't heard about, organizations in town doing good work. And this felt like my shot since I had full creative control um, to be able to do that. That if we bring people in who, who by demographic information are okay with the idea of being challenged, and then we're going to get a, um, you know, an alcohol vendor and just kind of experience this new thing going into a weird place. And, and hear these true stories about people's lives on stage. It's five to eight minutes. There's eight eight of them split into two acts. One, you know, one of the experiments that we ran was like having somebody on stage uh, asking the other person questions as they're telling their story, right? So, because normally a lot of times it can be like hyper rehearsed, right? yeah. And so we wanted to like break that. So we had somebody on stage trying to go a little deeper. Then at the end we had the audience ask questions, and it was great. That was one of the best ones we've ever thrown. And, uh, you know, everything we, we, we do in addition to raising money for nonprofits, it's safe spaces, right, open to folks from the LGBTQIA community, um, open to folks of all colors. We're very intentional about, you know, our speaker lists, everything we do, being active um, about making sure that we have a diverse set of speakers, not only on race and gender, but in age as well. And so we feel like we've been able to accomplish that pretty well and, and bring people together. And it's still, like, I don't do it as much these days because if it's not Gardenio, I'm not doing it as much. I mean, those are some of the times when I just feel most fulfilled because it's like, hey, every dollar tonight goes to people who need it more than we do, right? Right. And and also you get to meet all these cool people. So, yeah, it's a really special thing that, I, you know, I think, you know, something about millions, I'll, you know, go, <laughs> go back to throwing. Yeah, I mean, that, that really emphasizes the impact both on the people who are there, yeah. on the charities. Absolutely. Um, and just a little bit more about... Um, Nobody loses, except for me, losing like 100 bucks or something like that. But. <laughs> so for my last question, for the audience, what is a key piece of advice you would give uh, to a young person who is looking to you know, build themselves in their communities through either entrepreneurship or thought yeah. leadership or just through anything? Make your bet. <laughs> um, I, I have better advice than that. I think that that I'm driven a lot by the idea that like I am a part of something bigger happening, which is a lot of underrepresented folks in technology and business are now, you know, there's an open eye culturally um, toward the fact that they have been underrepresented, and people want to do something about it. And I, I I'm really driven by the idea that like if I don't do this somebody you know somebody else will and like if i want to have high impact right because that's the goal right i don't just need feel goods and everybody has their different needs so I'm, i'll even say before that just sort of like advice find out what kind of like person you are and when if you're an impact driven person whether that needs to be one-to-one 
or whether you don't care as long as like i don't know we save a million babies right and you never have to meet a single baby and and people are at different points on that gradient and i found that i'm a little bit in the middle right that like i i don't want to just like make a a millions of dollars you know making i don't know apples with blades in them and uh and then like giving that money to charity or something like i need the work that i do to be fulfilling and meaningful and impactful um but also i want to have as high impact as i can right and so finding that out for yourself is is, is kind of like the first step there but then being for, so for me i'm driven by the idea of again if if i don't do this somebody else is going to get that seat at the table and that's not just for me right like i'm not in this so i can have a seat at the table with all the rich folks so that i can have a better car or something i don't i do not care about that it's because when you have that seat at the table then you can do things like channel money to uh to nonprofits that are you know serving the places like where we grew up um or you can help support and amplify the voices of social movements that stand for you know what you stand for right um and you know historically we've lacked access to resources and so how how can we be most effective at, at, at getting those resources and you know it's not all on your shoulders right and i have to remind myself of that too it's not all on my shoulders but like i feel capable i feel like i can do it and i want to do it and i'm gonna have a fun time doing it and so i think everybody has to find kind of their own path to impact and their own scope of impact but i mean to folks early on it's sort of like the the greater you have an understanding of that in yourself i think you're just going to waste less time and save yourself from some from some you know rough emotions yeah, the the closer you get to learning about yourself and to that end everybody listening the best thing actually i can advise go to therapy <laughs> because that will catalyze your self-knowledge and your self-confidence um in a way that uh again, will will help you not only in your professional career and your ability to talk to other professionals, but also in your personal career. Yeah, I'm going to use this as a platform to say everybody go to therapy. <laughs> Amazing. Extremely insightful. Thank you very much. That's going to be my last question today. Yeah, yeah. I, pre- I appreciate it. You, you, have, you have a good one. And if anybody's interested in learning more about Gardenio, you can go to growgardenio.com. You can buy plants on there. Reach out to me um, if I said anything that you liked. Um don't reach out to me if I said anything that you didn't like. Uh, but but otherwise, and we're always looking for help on the team. Follow us at Grow Gardenio on Instagram um, and on Facebook. And uh, yeah, hope you will grow with us. Yeah. 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 Going back to growth. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, there you go. I like it. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you. Since interviewing Roman, his company Gardenio is live and it's growing. I am so excited for Roman right now as he is selling plants at growgardenio.com and because fall is Austin's quote-unquote second spring, he wants people to buy plants. Coming out with an app in late August, Gardenio is raising funding and it's an exciting time for Roman right now as his goals are being realized trying to grow his community literally and figuratively and exponentially. I'm sorry, I had to throw that in there. It's kind of our shtick if, you if you've been around. Alright, thank you for listening. That's my update. Hit it with the extra. As always, you can contact us at theexponentialists.com under the podcast tab if you have any words of wisdom or advice that you would like to give our listeners for the next segment. Also, feel free to recommend any exponentialists you see in your community that could be guests on our podcast. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you all next week.